the expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Christ. It's, it's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Robers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is David Frangioni, CEO and publisher of Modern Drummer Magazine. So excited about our new podcast, The Modern Drummer Podcast. This weekly podcast will bring Modern Drummer to life. Sit back and enjoy fresh, fun, and insightful conversations with today's top drummers, producers, musicians, beat makers, and craftsmen. Whether you're a professional, a hobbyist, drummer, musician, programmer, producer, or just love music, this show is for you. Every other week, the Modern Drummer podcast will feature world-renowned producer, songwriter, and drummer, Narda Michael Walden. Narda Michael Walden's Upbeat is featured exclusively on the Modern Drummer podcast. Hey, hey, this is your brother Narda Michael Walden for upbeat with a modern drummer magazine all around the world i know you're all anxious and looking forward to hearing our new episode and we got a whopping doozy for you the the, the king of the blues as far as the drummers go this bad bad cat named tony tc coleman he's a treasure uh he's just got so much soul and kindness and richness and in his story and his playing and like a gumbo uh, the the fillet the fillet gumbo going on the uh the, all the flavors that you need for the gumbo he's all about bringing the good the good vibe and the flavors and knowing how to play the nuances of the blues to inspire uh Bobby Blue Bland to inspire uh, you know all the cats he's worked with in his life and, and in particular BB King who he worked with for like 30 some odd years and I want you to pay attention to his story I'm just so honored by him that we give him two parts, part one and part two. So pay close attention to my 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 dear friend who loves Buddy Miles, loves all the blues cats, loves all the soul music, and he'll give you a big dose of soul if you pay attention to this interview. Okay, this is your brother, Nardo Michael Walden. Pay attention now to my dear friend, Tony T.C. Coleman, the king of the blues on the drums. Ow! <laughs> <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
Ah, Tony, look at you. Look so, at you. So beautiful with your beautiful white hat and blue uh, rim on there. <laughs> Happy birthday oh, to you. Thanks, Tony. Happy birthday to you. Oh, yes. That's so sweet, brother. And I studied you this morning, Tony. I watched you on the reel, how to play the real authentic blues. And you were doing a wonderful clinic with a gentleman with a computer on the side. And you were walking him through all the different shuffles and, and the feeling and, and how when you make gumbo, you put the love in the gumbo. And you put the feeling and the soul in it, you know? So it's just great to watch you play, man. And you're just so, I want to let all of our listeners and fans know that what we love about you is your beautiful consistency. You have a lot of soul, you love a lot of flavor, but you're also very uh, thank you. consistent. And we don't, we don't, we don't value or talk about that so much, but that's really what it comes down to that you can play with BB King for 30 years, blue bland, all them cats. What do they want? A consistent cat that just fires them and you do it, bro. So I want to just start off like that. And now the floor is yours. Anything you want to say to us? Oh, well, first of all, man, I am so honored and excited to be with you. See, you don't, you don't remember when we first (laughs) met. I remember when I first met you. But I've been I've been hip to you. I've been hip to you for a long time. You know, I mean, I'm 65. And uh, but you, man, you have done so many wonderful, great things for us for as human beings for humanity as you are the Zen master. I want to be more Zen like you. (laughs) I think you are very Zen. Well, I'm my my fire. My fire is so hot. Sometimes I have to cool myself off. Well, and and you know how to how to contain your fire. Mine just kind of goes overheating sometimes. Well, it's good for the blues. Hey, but, you know what I'm saying? It's good for the blues. But, but Nard, I just want to say this. You know, uh, seriously, man, I am so honored to be, you to be talking to you like this. This is so cool, man. I feel like a kid at Christmas. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, drums was all I wanted to do. That, I, and, and I was so excited to hear drummers that play drums. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, man, I can't wait. And that's the feeling I still have today about it. Me too. Isn't that incredible? That I really, it, it comes from our little baby childhood hearts and emotions and, and excitements. That same thrill. If I you, see the drums. If yeah. I, if, if I if I change the drum head and smell the inside of it, if I if I see the drum rivets, uh, whatever the lugs, symbols, everything about it, I just like oh, I can't wait. That's the feeling I always have when I play. I love it. I love I, it. If, if you if you don't have that feeling, back away and come back with it because mm-hmm. that'll make you play so much better when you just yeah. let your spirit feel free to play. You know. Well, let's go there. Let's go to your childhood. Tell us about where you come from and what happened that really sparked you. Let's just hear about that. Well, I grew up in Kissimmee, Florida in 1955, August 12th. So I'm a Leo. (laughs) But uh, uh, my grandmother raised me. My mother died on my 10th birthday. I'm sorry. I have three siblings I grew up with. Uh, my dad was King Coleman. He invented the dance of mashed potatoes with James Brown. Wait a minute. We all love the mashed potatoes. Yeah. That's a hot dance, man. Yeah. 
And he uh, collaborated with James Brown to do the song about the mashed potatoes. At the time, James Brown couldn't do it because the record company was like, we don't need another dance song. And James Brown was like, King Cohen, you do the song. Use my mm-hmm. band. Mm-hmm. So he used the band and the drummer was Nat, named Nate, uh, Nate Kendricks, if I'm not mistaken. But it became a hit and the dance, the mashed potatoes. And my dad was an MC at the Apollo Theater and a famous disc jockey. So my dad was was friends with every artist you could imagine because disc jockeys back in those days were like like gods, you know. That's right. So he was a dynamic performer. He was the first black performer to have a shaven head, King King Coleman. And uh, it wasn't popular at the time to have a bald King, King clean head at the time and he was one of the first to ever do it but uh I didn't meet my dad until I was 17 okay but his his mom my grandmother in Tampa Florida where he grew up she would come and get me from Kissimmee Florida and take me to Tampa and tell me all about my dad and talk to him on the phone and things of that nature and uh he is where I got my talent he was a he was uh in Miami Florida playing the kunga the um the one like Ricky Arnez yeah he did yeah. that and sang mm-hmm. he sung and danced but when i joined the military i joined the army out of high school to get away from Kissimmee because my grandmother couldn't afford to pay for me to go to college so i was like man i, got, I just had dreams and visions i gotta get away from here i used to i dream in color i used to see myself flying over mountains and valleys and and all this stuff mm-hmm. and then i joined the army to get away and i i was in fort Riley, kansas I put a band together. I played in various bands growing up. Uh, uh, the first band I played in, man, I'm just, I'm so excited. I got to yeah. focus. Yeah, that's good. Go, go, go. I, 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 so the first, <laughs> I used to go see bands, all the bands around Kissimmee, Orlando. And the first band that I really fell in love with was a double drummer band with a conga player, six horns, uh, two guitar players, B3 player, and a keyboard player who played the Fender Rose and the Cloud. Yeah. And uh, it, it was like a James Brown band. It was like 14 piece band called Bobby Williams and the Marquis. Oh. I used to go to the club, sneak in the club and sit in the corner and watch them mm-hmm. and hide because I was too young to be in there. Mm-hmm. And then when the people started dancing, I come out on the side and, and I go to their rehearsals and bug them to death. Narda, that's bug it, them all it. the time. Yeah, that's it. Hey, hey, can I can I sit in? Can I sit in? They go. Mm-hmm. Hey, so one day I got a gig. My first professional job was playing drums with a DJ. He yeah. spinning the records and I played to every song. That's great. So what that a great was like my teaching. I, I, yeah. I didn't have any formal training. Mm-hmm. Just playing that, that record. To man. learn to play everybody's drum beats yeah. and play it in time with them, man, you got to concentrate, you know. Yeah, John McLaughlin told us, he said, yeah. rec- records are our greatest teachers. So the yeah. fact that, you, that you're playing with them records, you're right there, bro. Yeah. So. So you got to learn everybody's style. You got if you play Aretha Franklin Spanish Harlem, you got to learn to play like Bernard. If you play tighten up, so you know you got to lay you got to lay it down. So I had my gig, Bobby uh, Rudy Agogo, and from Bartow and the funky drummer Tony Coleman. And that was my gig with the DJ. So he would always play the records. And then he'd say, you want to get a drum or something? Let's get a drum or something. So I have to play a dance groove. That one got to be there. 
And people get asked, yay! And then, and then the, the, the manager from Bobby Williams and the Marquines came to the record hop gig, and he was this heavy set guy, and he and he got his tongue like that. He said, Hey Tony, I knew who he was. His name was Mr. Boxfield. Randy said he wants you to be in the band. Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bobby Wizard and Marquis, you know, the band, you bother, you, you, you bother them all the time. They want you. Mm-hmm. I was like 17. And he said, they're going to come by your house and pick up you and your drums on Monday. So they had two drummers. So I go in the club, Narda, and the other drum kid is gone. Mm-hmm. And I'm setting my gear up, man. I'm all nervous. Oh, man, I can't believe it. Mm-hmm. Wow, they're going to let me play with them. Mm-hmm. So Randy Warren, the lead drummer and a vocalist like yourself, because I love singing drummers, always have. <laughs> okay. Love you. Okay, love you back. Love you so, back. So, uh, so I'm setting up, and Randy's like, okay, here's your chance. You've been bugging us forever. Now you're going to be in the band. Yeah. Okay. Just relax, you know, relax. You know the show because in that in back in the day, every band had to have an opening song. Right. And and it had to be original and and it, and it had a lot of dynamics. Like you might say, ladies and gentlemen, the Marquee. Yeah, they have some little opener. Yeah. So so <laughs> I knew it. So he said, okay, Tony. So I was sitting there and the and the rhythm section was there first. And then the horn players came in. So I was coming in. I was sitting at the table with the band leader, Randy the drummer. And the horn section leader came in. He's and we were sitting at the table, the two of us, and he sat down. He said, Who you get to play drums? He said, that's a nice drum kit, because I always had a nice kit, you know, mm-hmm. shiny cymbals, sticks, right. everything. Everything nice. And uh, he said, that's a nice kit. Who we get? He said, we got Tony. He said, Tony? Tony who? He said, Tony. You got him? Mm-hmm. Man, that MF can't play, man. Come on, this guy? Oh, man. He said, he's going to be fine, man. You know, we got to give him a shot. You know, he's That's young. Right. He'll be all right. Remember when you didn't have always was right. on top? Right, right. So then the other horn player came in the same thing. Nice drum kit, man. Who we get? Mm-hmm. We got Jim Johnson over there. Mm-hmm. Now, he said, we got, he got Tony. Tony who? Mm-hmm. That Tony. Mm-hmm. Him? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Randy was like, come on, it'll be fine. <clears throat> So Randy said, all right, you go up and start it off. So it's a big band. Mm-hmm. So I do the arrangement, but I was playing it real tinny even nervous. So I was like, come on, man, hit the drums. I was like, yeah. Okay. Let's take a break after about a half hour of that. And then Randy said, man, we're going to take a break. We'll be back. Then Randy got me in the car. Man, let me tell you something. You do that again, man. I'm going to kick your ass. You understand? Mm-hmm. You hit the drums. You play. I know you know how to play. That's now right. Stop being nervous. You're That's the drummer. Right. Now right. go in there and play. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, sure. I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. Count it off. One, two, three, four. I was like. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, uh-huh. man, calm down, man. Okay. You got it. 
Right. And then I settled in and that was my first gig. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So you learn right off the right off the giddy up to bring it hardcore. Yeah, you know, yeah, man. because because for us, black culture is drums, our culture, who we are as black people. You got to lift the, the spirit up. It's like it's like sanctified. It's like going to church. You got we got we are here to lift the people up when you're doing when you're doing soul rock and roll music. It's supposed to be about your job is to be like. Like Carlos says, a shaman, you're, you, we're, we're, we're given a gift to to heal people's souls. That's right. That's, That's right. our job. That's right. So the drummer, you are the CPU. You're the central processing unit. You're the foundation. You got to be solid. You got to be strong. You got to be watch everybody. You got to hear everything and hear everybody. Mm-hmm. Because the drummer is the leader of the band. That's I'm sorry, right. guitar player. I'm sorry, Carlos. You already know that. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> but that's true. But you got to take that responsibility on, and everything's gonna come at you, man, like a hurricane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're like on the you're like on the ship. You still gotta keep it intact. Mm-hmm. That's your job as a drummer, and that's and right. I've taken that responsibility from from that day on. Mm-hmm. That was instilled in me. So now that's beautiful. Now connect the dot uh, from that band, your beginnings. Go just, just, just kind of d- down the line how it unfolded uh, for your life. Okay. I hear, hear from so you. now I left Florida and I joined the military. Had a band together in the military, and we were the top band around Kansas, out in the middle of Kansas. And uh, my, I had an aunt lived in Kansas City, Missouri. I was in Junction City, Kansas, near Topeka, Kansas, and I used to go to. My aunt, husband was, my uncle was a black baseball, Negro League baseball player, Willard Brown. He was on the Kansas City Monarchs. Mm-hmm. So they, Satchel Page and all that. And I used to go to Kansas City to visit them and meet all, I didn't have appreciation for, for my culture at all. Mm-hmm. I was like, I met Satchel Page, you know, I'm a young man. I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, whatever. Like, dude. And so at their house, they used to have house parties with, with Charlie Parker mm-hmm. and uh, everybody. And they take me to the Black Musicians Union in Kansas City okay. and watch these guys play jazz. And me and my friend, Russell Jackson, bass player, we like want to be funk. Mm-hmm. And these guys are real refined, man. Mm-hmm. You know how jazz is. That's right. So my aunt said, let them sit in. So we got up to sit in and, and they were like, yeah. And we, and we were trying to play jazz and they were like, let's play, uh, let's play. Uh, so they gave us something really difficult. What's the name of the tune? Dang, can't think of the name of it. Okay. But it's, it's a standard. Okay. And we were up there just killing it, not killing it good, killing it bad. We were like, oh. boo, bang, boo, bang. Those guys were like, man, those guys suck. Get them off the stage. Go learn, listen to some jazz. Mm-hmm. So then when we got out of the military, I was going to school to be a commercial artist, but went back to Florida. 
And I love art, always have loved art, drawing, designing, and all of that. And uh, Leroy Cooper was a, the band leader for Ray Charles's band, Barry Sachs player. He lived in Orlando, worked at Disney World, oh, wow. had the band, mm -hmm. the parade marching band. Mm -hmm. So he said, hey, man, we need some drummers. Come out and get a gig. Mm -hmm. And so I went to get the gig. They said, well, the drum position isn't open, but we, we, we're going to keep you in the entertainment division and put you in the bird suit. So I was wearing a bird suit at Disney World. <laughs> I love it. And the kids are, you know, bird. The bird faces like this. Yeah. And I'm in it like this. Oh, okay. You can't okay. talk or anything. You're sweating. Right. You're hot. Yeah, that's it. And I got fired because I tried to hit on some girls in a bird suit. In the bird suit, right? Okay. Don't, don't do that. It doesn't <laughs> okay. work. Okay. Then the guy said, "Let's meet up in Chicago because this horn player in our band lived in Chicago." He said, "Let's get the band together and come to Chicago, and we're going to be the next Earth, Wind, and Fire, man." Wow, okay. And we were like, "Yeah, let's do it." So we all met up in Chicago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We were living in the, the sax player's in-laws' basement. They let us live in the basement. Okay. But of course, it didn't happen like we thought it would, and everybody just started going back home. Mm -hmm. And I stayed in Chicago. Right. And then I got some gigs, uh, local gigs. And then the, the the girls that we were staying at their house, the Walton family called the Waltons. Okay. They all sing gospel. And one of them mm -hmm. sang like soul when she was singing with Otis Clay, soul singer Otis Clay. Yeah. Trying to live my life without you. Baby, it's the hardest thing you ever do. Mm -hmm. ba -ba -ba. You know, Otis Clay. Yeah. And uh I got the gig with Otis Clay. We went to the rehearsal with her and he needed a drummer and a bass player. Wow. I got that gig with Otis Clay. Right. And we were playing all over Chicago, of course. Mm -hmm. And we played at a club called the Burning Spear where all the soul and blues and R&B bands would come in. Manhattan's, The Temptations, Gladys Knight, everybody, uh, Curtis Mayfield. Wow, and and wow. so Otis was always there. So I got yeah. to hang around all the musicians because when, when you're seeing other musicians, you know, I'm like excited, man. Yes, that's These right. are people, I listen to their records and I'm around them. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh my God, mm -hmm. horn players from Earth, Wind and Fire, Michael Harris and, mm -hmm. and uh, 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 all of them, you know, be in and out. I was like, yeah, I love this. So we did a tour in Japan in 78 and the record became a number one hit no, number three hit in Japan. The first number one was uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire's record out at the time. I think it was Spirit. Okay. Um, then it was uh, Natalie Cole was number two. Okay. And Otis Clay was number three in Japan. Wow. Okay. So Beautiful. being in Japan, my first overseas tour being in Japan and J Japanese, the Japanese culture is like they're very polite. Yes. You yes. agree. But when they watch you, they just kind of look, they're watching and, and getting it in. And then you're like, I hope they like us. Then after you play, <laughs> you know, that's the way it was. So that was an exciting experience. Mm -hmm. And Otis said, we're going to record a live album. And the, so at this club, we're going to be at it for four nights and the recording truck is going to be out there. So they're going to be getting the levels and we're going to record. So tonight, let's just make sure we're on our, on our P's and Q's. And so mm -hmm. we were like really playing it. Otis Clay yeah. live. You know, mm -hmm. and then after the show, he said, "Let's go in the truck and check it out." And they played, and they go, "It's going to be a good record." Yeah. So he didn't tell us that we were recording for the record because that would have made us 
uh, kind of nervous, I guess. Yeah. He was smart the way he did it, yeah. you know, right. in order to like, just go play. That's right. And that's, and we had the record that first, that was the first live record, record, record I was ever on. Beautiful. We came back with Otis and Otis was opening the, the blues tour. The perfect span was a black DJ club owner who owned the burning spear and all these clubs and got Michael Jackson at the Regal, you know, and all of that yeah, stuff. That's it. Jackson's. He that's was right. a very, very famous promoter black disc jockey on the radio station. He had a blues tour called the International Blues Tour. B.B. King, Bobby Blue Bland, wow, wow. Albert King, wow. Little Milton, mm-hmm. Muddy Waters, Tyrone Davis, uh, Betty Wright, O.V. Wright. <laughs> it was a big blues tour and we were the opening act and we also played for O.V. Wright. <laughs> I love it, I love it, I love it. I got a nickel and a nail, you know. So, now, mind you, Narda, the whole time I'm doing this gig with Otis, I want to be with Rufus and Shaka Khan. I want to be like Narda Walden. I should have loved you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I should have loved you. Okay. That's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I want to do what y'all were doing. But I'm like the blues guys, and I'm like young cat, man. I'm like 24, 25, playing with these older blues people. Muddy Waters and all these people, and I don't really even appreciate it because I don't like the blues. Mm-hmm. So, but but I'm learning and I'm mm-hmm. listening. So, yeah. after we did that tour, uh, the last day of the tour was in Chicago, and there was going to be an after party at Purvis Band's club. So everybody was at the club, everybody, <laughs> and the band that was playing the house band. When we walked in, they were done because they they'd been there all night. So the promoter purpose said, hey, can y'all play one more set? We got all the artists in here to have a jam session. Mm-hmm. And the band leader, his name was Walter Scott from the Scott Brothers World. Okay. I, he said, nah, man, if y'all pay us another $100 each, we'll do it. But nah, we ain't playing no more. We've been playing all night, man. We need to be paid. Okay. And I was like, well, well Walter, can, can, can you use your gear? We'll do it. He goes, man, Tony, man, what's wrong with you guys? You're always playing for free and stuff. And like underbidding us, man. You got you got to get paid, little brother. You know, it's like, hey, man, we just want to play. All these great artists in here, man. Let's just have a jam. Say, yeah, go ahead. You can use our equipment. Okay. So, so Otis came up, called everybody on stage, and BB came up, and BB said, "Otis, this is your rhythm section. These are some great guys. How are you doing, fellas? These young guys are good. I like yeah. them. All right, hi there." <laughs> and we do some blues. Well, let's do some blues. So we're playing the blues. BB, all the affection's gone. And the love is gone cold doing the blues. And I'm like, I'm like, man, I don't want to do this. And, and then uh, BB had a new record called Midnight Believer, okay. produced by the Crusaders. Okay. And that was the first blues record to have the bass playing octaves, like, you know, uh, boom, back, popping. Three days of snow in Birmingham. You know, it was it was a crusaders grooving it, man. Stick super. So that was his hit. So we were doing the slow blues. All of my affections gone. And BB said, hey, going up, going to hold it up, going to BB new song and we played it really like 
the record. Yeah. Because we try to play everything like the recording. That's right. And BB's band were some older guys. They didn't quite have that, that funky groove thing. Mm-hmm. But we're like young guys, so we got mm-hmm. the funk down. Yeah. So Otis said, hey, go in there. You never make your move too soon. BB's saying, yes, I'm going to have boom, 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 boom. All right. Three days of snow. He started singing. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, yeah, man. Mm-hmm, and then his mm-hmm. band leader jumped on stage, put his sax together. Yeah. Start playing Weldon Felder's parts. Yeah. And then BB's like, I saw BB do this to his, his sax player. And he went, and I knew right then and there, Nardo, mm-hmm. he wants us. That's it. He wants he, us. You locked him in, man. I could tell. Locked him in. Yeah. And then after we finished, we were on the side of the stage and all of the musicians were on the side. You know how we hang on the side. Mm-hmm. So the sax player said in front of all of the musicians, he didn't know who they were. He said to us, how would you, the rhythm sex, I want to talk to you, you and you. BB would like to hire you guys. How would you like to work with BB King? Mm-hmm. He was like, yeah. I was like, I knew it. I was like, mm-hmm. we like, yeah. Well, he'd like to meet you upstairs. So we went upstairs to the dressing room and BB was buried gracious as he always is yes 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 how you doing fellas have a seat I'm, oh, i love you little guys you sound so good you play mm-hmm. really good i really enjoy it mm-hmm. uh i talked to otis and i told him i'm gonna offer you guys a job mm-hmm. and he said well b they're good guys it's up to them mm-hmm. but he was respectful he let he let bb know uh otis know bb let otis know right i like your guys I went off from a job. He always was like, hey, man. So he said, how would you like to work with him? He was like, yeah, we'd love to. <laughs> and then, and then BB, BB, <laughs> that door in my heart, I'm, I'm, I'm tripping now thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm getting sweaty thinking about it, man. <laughs> so, so BB had a road manager named Bebop. He said, Bob, this one right here seems like the spokesman. Give him the card. Gave me the card. Son, this is my card. Now, you can call me every Sunday and uh, talk to me, and we're going to figure this out. And just call my office. They'll tell you where I'm at, what hotel, and just we'll figure it out. And that was in September. That was on his birthday, September oh. in, in 78. Wow. And so we left. I was like, they got the card. <laughs> they got the card. So, Every Sunday, I call BB. How you doing, Mr. King? What's going on? Well, son, I'm thinking about it. Call me back next Sunday. He did that until December. Oh, okay. And all the other guys were like, man, give it up, man. That man ain't going to hire us, man. I was like, hey, he said, call him. I'm going to call him until he say, don't call me again. Right, right. I'm going to be persistent. Yes, (laughs) yes. And then he was coming back to Chicago for New Year's Eve with Johnny Taylor and B.B. King at the down at the uh, theater, big theater in Chicago. Anyway, and then he was going to play at the Burning Spear. So we went to the Burning Spear and we sat right down front of his show. It was like mm-hmm. 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 He, he was like, hey, hey. Oh, I see my, my guys. How you doing, guys? He was like, Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the dressing room, he said, fellas, 
I gave my band two weeks notice and we got two weeks off. Are you ready to come and join me? Yes, sir. My bus driver, he lives in Chicago now. I would fly you guys out to Las Vegas where I live, but if you don't mind, you could just ride the bus. He's coming out there and the first gig is gonna be in uh, uh, the Golden Bear in, uh, in uh, Solano Beach. Solano Beach, the Golden Bear was the name of the club. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, we said, yeah, so we, man, he said, yeah, we, I knew the bus driver. He said, yeah, I'll pick you guys up at midnight. And we were at Otis's office where we had our gear and stuff. And he said, I'll be there at midnight. And it was snowing, snowing, snowing. And I was looking out the window that, like a kid, man, waiting, looking on Cermak in Michigan where Otis's office was waiting to see that bus pull up. And then it's 1230, 1 o'clock, 1.30. Oh. I was like, oh, he's coming. Then I see the bus pull up at the light. B.B. King, the king of the blues. Mm -hmm. There it is. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're on our way, man. And, And we got on that bus, and Otis was there, and Otis, we're getting ready to say bye to Otis. Love you, man. Thank you. He said, and as I got ready to get on the bus, Narda, he said, TC, I want, I need to talk to you. He said, listen, all that glitters is not gold. Mm-hmm. So if this don't happen, you always can come back home and remember, just do what you do, man, and you'll be fine. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I was like, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. He said, take care. Then we, then we, it took us like four days to get to Vegas. We had to drive through snow. It was snow all the way out to Nevada. Wow, so long one. Okay. And we got wow. to BB's house. It was sunny. I remember seeing the Hoover Dam. We was like, oh, the Hoover Dam. Man, yeah. we're young. We haven't really done anything, yeah, that's, right. You know, that's right. We're just learning and exploring, you know. Mm-hmm. Here we are, three little field mice, you know, mm-hmm. getting ready to get into the city rats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So we get to BB's house. We pull up. It's like five o'clock in the in the afternoon, in the evening. And I remember across the street from BB was uh, the the man with the thick white mustache that used to be on Hollywood Square. Well, how you doing? Mm-hmm, he was mm-hmm. BB's neighbor. He said, "Hi there. Mm-hmm. You guys are with BB." Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, "Wow, that's the guy from Hollywood Squares." You know. Right. And BB welcomed us. Come on in, fellas. And then he gave us a tour of his house. You know. Yeah. Doing well. He's he's living well. So he's mm-hmm. just showing us how he's lived. And he had a room with all his awards and everything. I mean, we had a big dinner and we were sitting there. And I and I I asked him, so I said, Mr. King, you might know my dad. He he worked at the follow. He said, We're eating. Well, what's your dad's name, son? I said, King Coleman. He said, Did you say King Coleman? Norman called his assistant Norman. You probably saw Norm. No, Norman was past when, when you were at, when you played with BB. Right. Okay. Norman, come here. You know whose son that is right there? That's King Coleman's son. Norman. Yeah, he looked ugly just like his dad. Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> and then he said, I know your dad well, son. Your dad was an amazing musician, created the Master Potatoes. He could outdance James Brown. Your dad was an amazing man. Your dad was. Oh, that's hot. Where, where is he? I said, he's in LA somewhere. Anyway, 
So I said, Mr. King, so we're going to leave tomorrow and go play the gig tomorrow night. We're going to be there for three days, right? Yeah. Well, are we going to rehearse? You know how to play the blues. I heard you play the blues. And you know the new record. You played that well. We'll rehearse. We'll play when we get there, son. Wow. Bernard, I had that third sense. Something just didn't quite feel right. Mm-hmm. Bernard, am I talking too long, man? No, hit it. Finish it. I like it. So Finish it. I like it. My heart, like, my heart just didn't feel right. So I called the band leader in Memphis after we got to the hotel. So BB gave us the keys. And here's 300 bucks. You guys don't gamble at all. Save some. It was like everybody, my other buddies were, were excited, but I was like, something just don't feel right. Mm-hmm. So I called him up in Memphis. Hey, Cato Walker. Hey, Tony, are you going to be on the gig? He said, no, BB fired the whole band. But I think Caleb's still there, the drummer. I said, really? He said, yeah, I think he kept Caleb. Caleb really took it hard and wanted to keep his job. And I said, oh, okay. So sure enough, when we pulled up just before showtime, about an hour before showtime, Caleb came on the bus. Hey, what's going on, you yard birds? You know, and I said, there it is. I knew I felt something. Yeah. And BB called us in the dressing room and he said, fellas, you're a great young man. I really love the way you play. Now the drummer here, Caleb, y'all know Caleb. We said, yeah. Oh, he had a handful of silver dollars in his hand. He said, here's one for you, one for you, one for you. He gave us a silver dollar. I still got it. Mm-hmm. I still have that silver dollar. Okay. He said, you ever had a silver dollar? It, it wasn't silver, silver, but it was a corn dollar, you know. Mm-hmm. I still had it. And he gave that to us. He said, now, what I'd like to do is, I hate to break up a good rhythm section, but uh, Cooper, he called me Cooper. He, he forgot Coleman. He mm-hmm. said, Cooper, you and Emfrey, I'm going to let Emfrey play because he knows my show, which he did. He knew because BB had little nuances, licks. Yeah. You know, like we say, it's one thing to learn the song, but now you got to play the song. That's right. That's right. So he would let Caleb play the beginning and then call me up to play the funky stuff. Okay. And while I was playing the groove stuff, Caleb was sitting back watching me. Right. So then we were headed to, we played the Golden Bear and the next gig was going to be at the Circle Star in San Mateo. I know it very well. We played. I know you times. know where that is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Stage turn around. That's right. And you can get dizzy. <laughs> and when you're at the end of that, that circle that's going around, you can feel it. Yeah, that's right. It's funny. I see you right here and then I see you over there. Mm-hmm. Right. And the show had B.B. King, Bobby Blue Bland, and Albert King, and Johnny Guitar Watson was the deal. Oh, okay. So when we got there, the road manager, the tour manager said, Tony, uh, B.B. wants you to carry Lucille to the stage. And, you know, you got to walk through. And he didn't call me up to play. Okay. So I was heartbroken, of course, and, and, and disappointed. And all I can could see, remember, was Otis Clay saying, all that did was remember, all that did was not go. Right. But you always got a home. 
So I, while BB, while they would be playing, I'd be in the dressing room with all the other band members from Albert King's and, and everybody was like, man, what's up with that, man? Why don't BB have you out there playing, man? And they were saying, you know, you're a much better drummer than Caleb. And I was like, well, that may be the case, but he, he does know BB's nuances. Mm -hmm. But he had some substance abuse issues, but BB didn't want to let him go because he begged mm -hmm. to keep his gig. Mm -hmm. And BB had a soft heart, but he had to figure it out. So he felt, I guess he felt, now I, I look back at it and, I, and I'm like, I'm like, I guess BB felt he's a young man. He'll be fine. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give old dude a chance to keep his gig. Mm -hmm. He's been with me a long time. That's the way BB was. Right. So BB said, um, Coleman, I'm going to keep Caleb. But if I ever need a drummer, ever, you're going to be the first drummer I call good guy and you play good and uh i was like i didn't want to hear that i was like really dis disappointed that was the bittersweet relationship for me and bb that started a very bittersweet relationship okay. uh, that's why throughout the years bb fired me five times <laughs> oh okay because i would always argue and debate with bb about things you know about doing business and he didn't like that but he liked it but he didn't like it got it but 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 after he fired me, and he well his firing me would be like, son, I'm not gonna pay you and argue with you. Right. Now if you want, if you don't want to do what I want you to do, you can you, you go home. You always go home. I said okay, see you, bye bye. And then of course we make up the breakup and come back, you know. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, then I went back with Otis. Went did another tour in Japan, and Bobby Blue Bland's band leader called me and said, hey, man, we need a drummer. And he had two drummers. Okay. He said, because uh, one's not that strong, and we like two drummers, but the other one that's really good is just really getting drunk and doing all kind of ridiculous stuff. <laughs> so I said, nah, I'll pass. I'll pass. Then I, I went to Dallas. Oh, and I got my first drum endorsement in Japan with Pearl Drums back in 78. That was the first endorsement I ever got. Yeah, that's beautiful. I was the fourth American to visit the company in Japan. It was it was uh, Sticks Hooper, Mr. Art Blakey, and uh, uh, Louis Belson, and myself. Wow. It's a great yeah. company, brother. That's the great company of all time. I know. So then I, I was like, man, I'm done with drums. Man, I'm, 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 I'm going to go to school commercial art school and become a designer and I'm done. I was really disappointed in the, in the way it worked. I didn't like that part. Then I was driving with my wife at the time and saw a music store and it had the Pearl drum kit in the window. And I said, I'm going to go in there and see if the new Pearl magazine is out because my picture is supposed to be in there. And Nara, I walk in the store in Dallas, Texas on a hot summer day in August. As soon as I walk in, the drum, it was a black guy, the drum guy had Pearl Drum Magazine in his hand. He looked at the magazine, he saw me. Before I even met him, he said, hey, this is you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I came to see if that book, he said, you're Tony Coleman. I said, yeah. He said, are you here to play with Johnny Taylor? I know Johnny Taylor's looking for drummers. He's auditioning drummers for his tour. And he called me and I can't do it because I, I got my family. I got, I'm staying. I can't do that. Are you here for that? I said, no. He said, let me call him and let you know you're here. Mm -hmm. Called the officer. Yeah, he's right here. Yeah. So 
Hey, man, you need to go to Johnny Taylor's office. It's on R.L. Thornton Freeway. You'll see it. It'll say Tag Enterprises, Talented and Gifted Enterprise. Okay. And I see the Johnny's bus out there. I see a couple of Rolls Royces and stuff. I go to the office, Johnny's manager. Hey, how you doing, man? Man, we so glad you, we need you to play this tour. Mm-hmm. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Then anyway, long story short, I said, yeah, I got with Johnny Taylor. So I'm working with Johnny Taylor. Wow. All you fellas, you know. So I was with Johnny Taylor. You know, his big hit was Disco Lady. Oh, man, man. huge. Yeah, all kinds of hits. Yeah. If people don't know that's Bootsy Collins playing on Disco Lady. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You know that. No, I, I didn't even I didn't know that, but I love it. You didn't? No, I didn't boom, know that. Boom, 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 That's Bootsy. <laughs> okay. Love it. Uh, Recorded in your state, Michigan, in Detroit. Oh, okay. Wonderful. I told you, I told you, there's so much to learn from Tony T.C. Coleman. God bless you, Tony, for your time, your energy, and we're going to pay attention to you next uh, part two coming up with us because you have more to say that we want to pay attention to to learn about life and the gumbo and the ingredients of the gumbo and playing the blues and how it's important to play ba-boom, 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 not jing, 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 but ba-boom, 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 because that's what pushes the uh, guitarist, the singer, to really get into it. Love you, Tone. Thank you for your time, your love, and God bless our audience all over the world. We love you. This is Nara Michael Walden for Upbeat with Modern Drummer. Love you. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, for watching this week's Modern Drummer Podcast. Stay tuned for next week's episode exclusively on Podcast One. Until then, stay safe and healthy, and thanks for listening and watching.